TED Audio Collective. I guess I'm curious, Benjamin, now that I've filled in a bit of that stuff, do you still feel that the evidence stacks up against me? Um, I'm definitely more inclined to believe what you're saying as like the absolute truth. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This is Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the show where I take the negative stuff we write online and turn it into the beginning of a conversation offline. I'm your host, Dylan Marin. Sometimes I speak one-on-one to people who wrote negative things to me on the internet, and other times I moderate conversations between strangers. Today, I'm moderating. Now, before I continue, a quick heads up. This episode deals with rape and sexual assault. If that's not something that's right for you to be listening to right now, That's totally cool. Come back whenever, if ever, you're ready. Emma Sulkowitz is an artist. Emma is also a rape survivor who became widely known for carrying a mattress around their university every day that their rapist was still allowed on campus. And Benjamin heard about this story and wrote Emma a message with just four words. You are a liar. First, I'll get to know Emma, then I'll get to know Benjamin, and finally, I'll connect them to each other. So, let's get started. Hi, Emma. Hi. How are you? <laughs> oh my God, it's the voice. It's the voice. This is my voice. I. It's not just a pretend voice for the podcast. This I know. Is my real voice. Yeah, it just... We gotta... There's a siren just passing. Good, I hope they're saving someone. Um, so, Emma, what are we here to do? Um do the intro to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) yes that's exactly it so emma yes in only as many details as you're comfortable sharing tell me about you i am an artist i am 25 i use the pronouns they them i think what's relevant to this podcast at the very least is that i I'm well known for this artwork I did at Columbia University titled Mattress Performance, Carry That Weight. And what is Mattress Performance? (laughs) Yeah, Mattress Performance uh, was this nine-month endurance performance art piece that I did during my senior year at Columbia where I carried a dorm room mattress that was the same type as the one that I was assaulted on everywhere I went on campus for as long as I went to school with the guy who assaulted me. I I think I have to tell kind of the whole story. You know, there are many people who react to trauma by freaking out. Mm. Whereas whenever there's a crisis, I kind of like become more quiet. After my assault, I went to the bathroom, like Mm. looked at the bruises on my neck and like made my bed and went to sleep. You know, I told a few friends what had happened, but I didn't want to make a big fuss about it. I just kind of wanted to carry on with my life the way it was. I Mm. wanted it to not have happened. And I thought, I I think I I might have unconsciously felt that like 
doing something extra about it would have made it more of a big deal than Mm. I'd wanted it to be at all. So then I didn't do anything about it for months, but I was at this party and kind of locked eyes with this woman. And she just came up to me and was like, we need to get coffee. And I was like, okay, that's, I don't know what this could be about, but sure. So we got coffee and she told me that she'd been in an intimate partner violence relationship with him. With the, this, with the same the guy. The person who, who assaulted you. Yeah. And then we kind of, like, we were sitting on the steps of Low Library at Columbia and we discussed other rumors we, we'd heard. And I reached out to some of them. Mm. And, I mean, one one woman had this really gruesome story, but she didn't feel comfortable speaking out about it. And then the head of the literary society he and I are both in told me that she'd received sexual assault complaints about him from three more members. Mm. So in total, that was six people at Columbia who'd been assaulted by him. So at that point, I realized that me being silent and just trying to go on with my life was actually putting people in danger Mm. because he was liable to harm more. And I'm sorry, how did this first person know about it? The woman who you first opened up to about it? Because I'd, because I told a few friends about it initially and just said, don't tell anyone. But, you know, I guess rumors spread even when you tell your friends not to tell people. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad that they broke that. (laughs) They broke that promise to me because it, you know, ended up being a good thing. So me and two of the women who were assaulted by him we opened up our college handbook and it Mm. said call the rape crisis center so we Mm -hmm. did that and you know they dragged our cases on for almost a year they basically threw out each of our cases for different reasons so it was at that time that just so happened to be that this woman she was writing an article for the campus magazine about how columbia handles these sexual assault cases and one of her friends was one of my friends and he said, you two need to talk because this writer needs to hear this story. So she wrote this anonymous article about me and the other two survivors. It it kind of blew up, at least within the Columbia community, because it was people were shocked to mm. read just how bad the procedures were. And it was at that time that Senator Gillibrand was writing her campus sexual assault bill and Uh, I guess someone on her policy team read the article. So Senator Gillibrand's team reached out to the magazine writer saying, would any of the anonymous survivors in your article be comfortable going public Mm. to show how important our sexual assault bill is? So the three of us, the three survivors kind of like talked amongst ourselves and we're like, okay, who's going to be public? Mm. And one woman he actually hadn't like raped her. He tried to, but she threw him off. The other woman just didn't feel like she had the confidence. And I guess I was like, all right, I guess it's going to be me. Mm. So I went public about being a survivor at Senator Gillibrand's press conference. Mm. And that blew up because an Ivy League sexual assault case is like, you know, everyone wants to get their hands on it. Because there's something media friendly about that, you mean? Yeah, and it, I think, honestly, that's kind of fucked up, right? Like, Oh, yeah. I like, mean, the fact that anyone should care about One assault case more than another, depending on how privileged the institution was where it happened or or how fancy the institution was where it happened. Yeah, and I think there's part of it that was like, wow, these cultured 
you know, college students would be doing something so terrible as if it's like, it's and more it's like, shocking. Yeah, it happens everywhere. So there was an article written about this whole thing and it was put on the front page of the New York Times. And that's when I started getting contacted by a lot of people being like, you idiot, like, why did you go through the college rape crisis center? You should have called the police. So I looked up the laws for the police and sexual assault survivors in New York have up to five years to report a sexual assault case. Mm. So I was like, I'm well within my, you know, timeline. I can definitely do this. And I I remember I didn't want to do it during the school year because I was busy with work and stuff and I knew how much work going through the school was. So I was like, okay, after I finish my final test for junior year, I'm going to call the police. Mm. So my boyfriend at the time and one of my closest, closest friends came to my room and we called the police Mm. and they showed up and they were so incredibly insensitive and like I think they were having fun I think they were harassing me for fun I took uh, an audio recording of it on my phone because I was just so shocked and working with the police was just such a mess I mean the the detective kept being like oh so he got creative with you and I'd be like no he got violent he'd be like oh he Mm. you mean creative and I was like that's not You know, it's just so it it got it's so it was so crazy. And they kept transferring my case to a different department when I'd have to tell my whole story again to a different person. And then they'd call me for like details in the middle of the day and show up at my parents apartment. It was just like a total Mm. circus. I, I, I actually had to cancel the case because it wasn't going anywhere. And I felt like the police were just using it as an opportunity to like harass me. And that's well, it's also an incredibly vulnerable thing that you're doing. And to someone who has gone through such trauma and then is going through the additional trauma of coming forward about it. Yeah. That's, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to be cavalier about it. I just mean, it, no. it sucks. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that. So by the time the case got to the DA's office, she said, I, I foresee this going to court in a year. Mm. I was like, well, okay, by then I'll have graduated. So that what this means that I'll get to like hear from the police three times a day for the rest of my senior year so that I can maybe this case can maybe go to court and maybe I'll, uh, you know, <laughs> it just it just didn't seem it, well, it didn't yeah. seem worth it. No, I got so it. So I completely canceled the case and I went to this art residency where I came up with the idea for mattress performance and, you know, refined the piece for the rest of the summer and came back on the first day of my senior year ready to do it. And I was one of the many, many people following along, just reading that's along. That's so cool. About, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's kind of surreal, but that's my perspective of like the media consumer. Um, what did it feel like to be doing it? Um, I mean, what's so crazy is that like, I didn't think it would become media. <laughs> you know, I'd been on the front page of the New York Times already, but like the only real performance art precedent that I was at all inspired by for this piece was the work by Cho Ching Che. Mm-hmm. Um, his works are extremely quiet, meditative, like uh, Zen-like practices that kind of, you know, no one's watching him do it the whole time. It's really about the internal personal practice of Mm. these endurances for a year he would lock himself in a cage Mm -hmm. or he tied himself to this other performance artist linda montano for a year and they couldn't touch Mm -hmm. so that's what i thought i was doing (laughs) i thought i was going to kind of like recede into the background and do this very quiet performance art piece but 
by the end of the first day of the piece, there were reporters following me to my dorm mm. room. And I quickly realized that it was not going to be like what I'd planned. Mm. Um, it just so happens to be that when I'm upset about something, it doesn't come out as tears all that often. It comes mm. out as an artwork. And, you know, for other people, it might be that it comes out as an essay that they get published. For other people, it might come out as a song. And I really think that when it came out of me, it came out as mattress performance. And then only in retrospect have I been able to, like, put words to why I really did all the things I did. Mm. just want to check in. Do you feel comfortable talking about this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So... With a whole ton of media coverage comes for sure a lot of attention, but you're also naturally going to get a lot of negative attention. Yeah. What was that negative attention like? Well, I mean, a big one was, you're a liar. A big one was, like, you're a cunt. Um, I mean, I was getting rape threats and death threats and just general sexist, racist insults. To my school email, some people found my personal email, my Facebook timeline, I guess maybe it was a wall back then, um, <laughs> my Facebook messages. But I, I was just so freaked out by all of the hatred that I really locked down and tried to keep everything as private as possible. So you're about to talk to a guy named Benjamin yeah. who wrote you a message that said... You are a liar. How do you feel about that? Um, honestly, the way I think about his message is like, and I was thinking about this this morning. So you know how in Hitchcock's The Birds, there are all these like big birds smashing against the windows of this house that the protagonist is in. I feel like in the the kind of bird storm that I've experienced of like, comments being hurled at me mm. or messages being hurled at me, maybe like a million carrier pigeons with like terrible evil messages. Mm. Um, something about Ben Benjamin's message was almost like a little sparrow pecking at the window. You know, it, it seemed like in one of the most um, like gentle of the insults being hurled at me. And I mean, obviously on its own wasn't the most upsetting one, but I think like it came during this storm of so many angry messages and really upsetting insults that seeing it made me feel sick. Mm. But yeah, on its own, it's not, it's not the worst thing anyone's written to me. And I think that's perhaps why when we were discussing who to talk to, I was like quite excited to talk to him. I was like, there's something bizarrely gentle about this person mm. who wrote me a mean message. Are you nervous? Um, I'm, I'm actually excited. I think that people who don't believe me usually don't believe me because they just see this kind of disembodied thing on the internet and like, don't realize that there's a person behind it. And when people meet me, they're usually like, oh, you're a person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I mean, I, and I've always gone into everything I've done in life way too naive. So mm. this could just be another symptom of my, like, crushing naivete. Mm. But I, I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that um, once he talks to me, he'll realize that, like, I'm not an evil liar. I'm <laughs> actually just a person who's been trying to do the right thing all along. Mm. So I will go speak to Benjamin, and then we will all talk together. Okay.
Hello. Hey, Benjamin. This is Dylan Marin. How are you? Pretty good, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, how's your day going so far? My day is going very well. Um, it's a good day. It's been a quiet day. I had a good breakfast and a nice smoothie. What is your smoothie regimen? Because I have one and I want to share. Okay, I, I like, I'm trying to, it's a, it's a natural vanilla um, protein powder. Yeah, I like it with strawberries, banana, some manuka honey. Are we talking frozen bananas? Frozen. Everything frozen. You gotta. Um, yeah, I throw some yogurt in mine. I've been doing flaxseed. I've been even doing some, like, spinach, um, which makes it mm. feel, like, super healthy. But anyway, that's my truth. Um, so, Benjamin, in only as many details as you're comfortable sharing, other than your amazing smoothie powers, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> tell me about you. Um, I am 24 years old. Mm-hmm. I am a Caucasian male, mm-hmm. um, a straight Caucasian male. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, hopefully that doesn't marginalize me to a certain demographic of your audience. No, we um, accept all types here. Excellent. But I, I think I'm a pretty normal guy. I got a, I've done all of the classes for the communication in the English, but I still like a science credit and a math credit. Mm-hmm. So I guess technically I haven't graduated. Mm-hmm. I just got caught up with doing some stocks and making money. I haven't wanted to go back since. Yeah. Do I need to? I, I live a great life for sure. But, you know, it's quiet. I haven't dated in a while, so it, it gets kind of lonely, you mm-hmm. know. So, but, yeah. but all things considered, I'm, I'm certainly very blessed. You're living your life. Um, so, Benjamin, what we are here to discuss is that a few years ago, you wrote a message to Emma Sulkowitz, and you wrote, You are a liar. Do you remember what exactly inspired you to write that? I think I think I can project back into the past. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't say I'm, I'm in the exact same mindset, mm-hmm. but I think I just looked at the evidence and I just found that based on the evidence, it was just hard to believe her claims were as she was representing them. I thought the texts he released were incriminating against Emma. I just couldn't believe it. It's not that I didn't want to. It's that I just couldn't. Now, where were you kind of getting this information? This was this was the news. Now, that, that's a good question. Um, I guess it was just from articles. I don't remember the exact sites. Just multiple articles, multiple, you know, sources from different different angles, mm. I guess. And, and it was it was everywhere back then. I can remember hearing all about it. Mm. I, I remember hearing about it. I, was a, I think I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like on the cusp of college. And I think like many males, I think morally normal males, we go into college hoping, if you're straight, you know, to have relationships, you know, mm-hmm. kind of get to start with that yeah but i think there's a, there is a fear that you know being being labeled a rapist i mean that's a mm-hmm. it's a really serious thing for a person's life so i guess maybe that's why it resonated with me so you read this story and then you found yourself being defensive of emma's accused rapist right i just felt that relative to the evidence that was presented to the best of my knowledge that was the objective evidence i just didn't think he was guilty mm. and i guess what you're what you're asking is like if i put myself in his shoes yeah if i was defensive not really, I guess it's him, I don't know him, but in some weird, I guess, maybe narcissistic way, like if I was him sort of thing. Hmm. This is interesting. And and I mean, I do want to just acknowledge that we all kind of place ourselves into news stories in the in the I I do it. I'll 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 speak for myself rather than saying it 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 about you. Like I put myself into news stories and I put myself in the shoes of the person who I identify most with. I think that's a, that's a naturally human thing. So there was a sense where you felt defensive of this guy who was accused of this thing, who you, based on the evidence that you saw, did not believe he was guilty of, right? Right. And, and I'm defensive of him, not all men who are accused of rape. Mm. 
there there is that distinction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am defensive of him, absolutely. There's a trend, in my opinion, where it's guilty until proven innocent, mm-hmm. at least with a certain demographic. Mm. And I just disagree with that mindset. Shifting gears a little, how do you see... Or how do you take part in, how do you consider the current national, international discussion about sexual assault on college campus and and sexual assault in general in the age of the Me Too movement? I guess, I mean, everything I say is just, it's from a a perspective of a person who has no real fear of it, personally. Mm -hmm. Fear of sexual assault. Right. I mean, that that does absolutely factor into my opinion. Um, With what's been going on with all these people in Hollywood, it's a huge issue, men harassing mm-hmm. women sexually. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have no doubt that there's countless unreported rapes because people are afraid or aren't believed. And mm-hmm. I think that is abhorrent and awful. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is like rape is awful. But to me, so is having your reputation and life ruined by false allegation. That absolutely happens as well. So like I said before, I just try to be fair-minded and look at the evidence. And if it's incriminating, if somebody rapes somebody, then they should be sent to prison. The key should be thrown away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you're you're kind of talking about the Me Too movement very favorably in the macro sense, right? And yet you are still sensitive to the potential for false accusation. Right. I mean, it's not potential. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm against the reality of false accusations, yeah. And do you think like part of the reticence to believe Emma and Emma's story was partly because of the media attention? It's hard to, again, it's hard to just be in that same mindset I was in all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't doubt that that's to some degree played into it. I mean, it wasn't, I don't remember it being some kind of overpowering mm-hmm. emotional whatever, but mm-hmm. maybe to some, to a certain extent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you regret writing that to Emma? I guess. I mean, it's, you know, like even over the course of a year, it's just like, why read it? There is <laughs> that element. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like stupid, but I agree. It's like kind of, harassing like what good would it cause i guess in that sense i do regret it it was just i probably was just reading something and just felt felt strongly in the moment felt felt empathy for that guy and just wanted to in my own insignificant way be the counterbalance to something i don't know so um you're about to talk to emma how are you feeling about that i feel excited Mm. I, i tend to get along with almost anybody are there any specific questions you have for emma um, I mean, right now, no. I mean, I don't want to, because I have empathy for her too now, you know, after all this dust has settled. I'm mm. sure this has been like, you know, God only knows the kind of things that people have said to her. Mm. You know, I, I feel like saying you're a liar. I don't, maybe I should have said, I don't believe what you said. It's kind of like assaging sort of the, mm. you know, not making quite as blunt. Yeah. But I'm sure like this has been a tremendous tax on her as yeah. well. So well, I, I have empathy for that. Yeah. I don't like the thought that maybe, even if it was just a moment, causing pain to somebody, mm. um, even if it's over the internet. Mm. But at the same time, I, I don't necessarily regret it because I didn't make any kind of like threat. You know, I'm not saying that I have like a 360 degree understanding of this. I'm totally willing to have my mind changed. Yeah. You know, yeah. all, all I can do is just go off of what I saw. That totally. makes sense. I think that's the healthiest approach to take for life. Even, even yeah, it's like, what do I know? You know, yeah, what do I know? Totally. Well, the next step is that you and Emma will talk to each other. Awesome. I look forward to it. Emma, this is Benjamin. Benjamin, this is Emma. Hi, Benjamin. I just wanted to say that I'm so excited that you're doing this, and I'm so excited that this is happening. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Stay right there. We'll be right back. 
If you like this podcast and you want to help support it directly, you can check out our merch store. We have brand new shirts that say, Empathy is not endorsement, a mantra I've made for the show, and stickers that say what I say at the end of every episode, remember there's a human on the other side of the screen. Also, there's a shirt that has Rob Wilson's beautiful logo for our show on it. Check it all out at www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com and click on Merch. All right, let's get back to the conversation. You guys are on the phone together for the first time. Emma, this is Benjamin. Benjamin, this is Emma. Um, hi, Benjamin. I just want to say that I'm so excited that you're doing this, and I'm so excited that this is happening. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. So to kick us off, the reason we're here and the reason we're on this call is that, Benjamin, a few years ago, you wrote Emma a message with very few words. You just said, you are a liar. Emma, how did it feel to receive it? Honestly, it wasn't even just Benjamin's message individually that hurt so much. It was the torrential outpouring from the internet of these kinds of messages into my lap. Well, I I apologize for the hurt. I do sincerely apologize for that. I know it might sound trite. That wasn't my intention, but I don't apologize for the disagreement. You became a very public person, right? And you didn't, from everything that I could see, you didn't shy away from the public eye either. Maybe some messages should be expected. And and I didn't, you know, I would never say like any death threats or anything like that. I, I'd never do that. I hope that on the, on the spectrum was a rather banal one. No, totally. But I, I think the reason it's interesting that we all get to be on this phone call together is that there is a trend of not believing the testimony of rape survivors, right? So, no, I, I think we need to acknowledge this, that, of course, while your message was was by no means one of the most hateful that Emma was receiving, there was a lack of belief to it. And, and I think that's kind of really what I want to pinpoint for us to, to be here to talk about. Emma, is there anything you want to say? The, I feel like my whole experience of being a rape survivor is that from, you know, the moment it happened, like, I didn't want to believe I was a rape survivor, right? Like, I don't ever want to see myself as a victim. And I think that once you're like, okay, I'm a rape survivor, you realize, like, okay, you have to come to terms with the fact that you've experienced something traumatic. And I really just didn't want to believe it myself. Mm. So I guess I say this because I see why, Benjamin, you would have not believed me. Because, I mean, very few people believe rape survivors, including myself at the beginning. So yeah, I guess so that you can hear it, Benjamin, um, you know, to say what I said a little bit earlier, which was... In this portion of the call, Emma walks Benjamin through the entire account that Emma already walked me through at the beginning of this episode. Since you've already heard it, let's skip to the end. So anyway, Benjamin, I, I say this all to just, I mean, I hope give you a clear picture of like how people will say things like, oh, but you put yourself in the public eye and it's like kind of by accident. I, I wonder how how you take that. Well, first of all, thank you for telling me all that. I'm going to go back and listen to that. It's even more clear in my mind after all this is um, recorded. But but thank you. Um, I I could I could see that. I mean, I've never I've never had anything go viral. I could intuitively I could see how things just explode. And you were a college student and not knowing exactly how to handle that. I mean, all, all I can do is just 
put myself in your shoes as best I can. Um, but I mean, but I guess you did, you did continue to carry the mattress. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't really know what to say. Like, and you were on the cover of the magazine. It, it isn't it really the, the media coverage isn't anything. I, I don't really have a strong opinion about it. You know, I, I guess, I guess maybe, maybe my opinion was what, uh, initially what I said wasn't fair. See, I get your point that it sort of just happened. I get your point. Thank you for, for saying that. And I, I very much understand that the media wants you to feel inflamed about me because the media makes money when people are like totally freaking out, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so I understand why you would have had like a sort of misguided impression about how I ended up where I ended up. Yeah. I think just to, just to clarify, I think that I may have been operating on not all of the information and, and not, not only that, but I think, I want to all the way backtrack to your to your original question, um, Dylan. Like I'm not I'm not a rape apologist. I think rape is completely abhorrent, and I'm I promise you I'm 100 percent with you. You just have to believe me. You have to trust me on that. But I also I it's just all I did was I went with the information that was available to me on the internet and the and the texts that were released, and I and I found that a lot of it was incriminating against her case. Um, well, Emma, we should defer to you on this, but. What is your comfort level of talking about the event that happened or the case that happened? I mean, obviously the the text thing was upsetting for me, but I'd be happy to like discuss that here just because I feel like it kind of gets at a crucial misconception people have not only about what happened to me, but like rape cases in general. So I'd be happy like if it if it clarifies somehow to, to talk about that here. Great. So you can feel free to bring that up. Um, so before I, I tell you a bit about the the text message conversation that you're bringing up, I, I, I know that there was a moment when he um, he sued Columbia and the president of the university and the professor that um, advised me on my project. And in his lawsuit, he transcribed a number of Facebook messages that he and I had going back and forth. And those became very incendiary in the media. And in one Facebook message, I said something like, fuck me in the butt, right? Is that what you're thinking of? Right. There's so, a slew of them, but yeah, that, that one does come to mind, right? I, I think that was the one that most people were fixated on. So the thing is that if you look at those messages that were released to the public, the conversation starts with fuck me in the butt. But you have no idea what came before that. I guess technically that's true, right? Yeah. I, I do have no idea what came before that. I can, I guess. So the half of the sentence that came before that was something like, ugh, I have to wake up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> and back then with my group of friends, and this is not, a phrase that I recommend that people take on in their group of friends. But we used to say, if we were upset about something, we'd say something like, oh man, I just got assigned another essay, fuck me in the butt. And a, a version of that that I still hear today is people will say like, you know, oh my God, I have to take out the trash, shoot me in the head. But no one actually wants to be shot in the head. So you're, so you're saying it was sort of just like a you didn't mean it literally, is what you're saying. Right. So honestly, one of the things that was so horrifying to me was cutting off the first half of the sentence that contextualizes it. I have a question about that. Like, after he said that, then the next response from you was, don't you miss my lopsided ass? 
Like, how, how does that play into the to the saying? Are you looking at them now? Yeah, I, I Google it because I, I, it's been a while since I've seen this. I hope you can see how it is confusing just to the objective sort of person who's looking at this. Yeah. It just sounds like a person who's like kind of hinting at wanting to have anal sex. Yeah, yeah. I totally see why if you saw that conversation without any context, you would have been so confused. Right, exactly. Um, I'm pulling up this conversation right now because I'm like, I'm genuinely curious now. I'm not trying to like, I don't want to like attack and I have no reason. I, I don't want to be like aggressive towards her. I know this is like be sounding kind of aggressive. I'm not trying to do that. Emma, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Oh my God. Okay. I found it. So okay. Benjamin, are you ready? Yeah. Hold on. Let, let, let me get, let me get right to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it says, fuck me in the butt. But the part that's been cut off is, oh, I have to wake up at 6am. Yeah. Okay, so that, okay. that is cut off. I, I can see how that's cut okay. off. Okay, so, ugh, I have to wake up early in the morning. I don't remember the exact wording of it, but like, ugh, oh my gosh, I have to wake up early tomorrow, fuck me in the butt. And then maybe not, JK, I miss your face though. So he's making a kind of sexual joke. And then I'm laughing at his joke. I go, ha 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 ha, because I'm, I'm acknowledging that he's made a joke. Mm-hmm. And then I say, you don't miss my lopsided ass, which is me making a joke off of his joke. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he's continuing the joke. He says, I do just not that much. So I think anyone who saw that first crucial piece that he cut out went before he released these Facebook messages, then the whole thing would make sense. Right. Because you see that he's he's then making a joke and then I make I'm laughing at his joke and then I'm making a joke in response. Does that does that sort of clarify it a bit more? That does clarify it. It does. But. Then again, like now that you understand the tone of the Facebook conversation we'd been having, even if I had for some reason given him the very sloppy proposition of fuck me in the butt, if we'd then met up that night and he proceeded to do that and I decided I actually wasn't into it anymore and decided that I didn't want to anymore, that's called revoking consent and he would have had to stop. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess I'm... I'm curious, Benjamin, if um, now that I've, I've filled in a bit of that stuff, do you, do you still feel that the evidence stacks up against me? Um, I'm definitely more inclined, you know, than I was an hour ago to believe what you're saying as like the absolute truth. I just wish somehow I could have all of the information right in front of me, you know? Yeah. yeah, To answer your question, like I'm more inclined to believe you. Thank you. Um, I mean, I know that takes a lot since you were so predisposed to think otherwise before this phone call. Like I said, I have a completely open mind. All, all I can do is go off the information I have. So now you're saying that there's just stuff I don't know. Most of the time, I think women are telling the truth. And I do, I do think that is the truth. I don't think, I don't think people are just go around accusing people of rape just because it's, you know, they woke up on that side of the bed. Mm-hmm. There, there's no reason to think that, in my opinion, um, for the average morally normal person. But I do think that Men are also wrongly accused. Like I said yesterday, that this African-American gentleman spent 29 years in prison in a box for rape that eventually forensics proved he didn't do. Like you two, I, I presume, if you were put back then when he was being charged, would have believed her. Absolutely. Flatly. So I think that does happen, too. And I think that there's a certain demographic of people who just always believe women and there's people who never believe them. It's just like somewhere in the middle, you know, like. What does the evidence say? That's really my, that's my position. I mean, I just thought about that. Like, it's, I, I felt such empathy in the same way I feel empathy for women who are raped and have to live with that for the rest of their life. I don't discount that. I know that that's a real thing to PTSD. I absolutely believe all that happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but 
it's like it is nuanced. I think you have to be able to look at it in a nuanced way. Yeah, I I was moved to hear that you have empathy for women who are the survivors of rape and you recognize that they have PTSD and there are so many ramifications of that kind of trauma. Um, given what I've told you, do you start to feel that empathy toward me as not only a person who's been raped, but a person who's had to suffer a lot of online hatred? Yeah, and like I do feel a lot of empathy because I'm sure like you've heard horrendous things have been said to you. I'm sure stuff that does not need to be said. But with that said, I still have my questions about the case. I'm, I'm in like a weird, ambiguous place. I'm just saying that the evidence is hard to... Just as hard for me to take the evidence and, you know, call somebody a rapist from what I've seen. I think a really hard thing about rape in general is that the majority of rape cases are going to go on completely under the radar. And I think that people who say things like, I can't believe you unless you give me evidence that's like perfectly digestible and easy for me to take in and all this stuff the women and other survivors who have those kinds of experiences that they've kept in the shadows will never really feel safe talking about it. I, I agree with that, but there is there is that fine line between people, of course, being able to come forward and speak their truth versus the witch huntiness kind of that I think can ensue unless there is like, where's the evidence? I'm open to the truth, you know, and there is still, I mean, I still have questions about it all. It's There's some things that are questionable to me. Like it was all an art project. It just confused me. I, I'm getting clear on it now, but it just confused me. Like when the when the initial rape occurred, you did you did the mattress, which was part of an right. I read. I think it was like it was for a credit. It was like an art credit that you were doing that for, right? Yeah, I mean, I was going to do it anyway, but it just so happened to be that I was a senior at Columbia, and they were like, "You have to come up with a senior thesis for your art." major and I was like oh can you credit this and they were like sure so it it, it was actually that I was going to do mattress performance anyway but then I just happened to get credit for it okay so it's just like is it all art you know I mean I just remember reading that and then seeing it is like is this is this like some Machiavellian just this is all art just to raise attention about it just can it's just confusing to me yeah so you know I'm an artist and I've been an artist as long as I can remember so when I'm sad or upset or angry, I just make an artwork about it. And there's so many people who, when they're sad or upset or angry, will make a song. Or other people who, when they're feeling some way, they'll write an essay. Or other people who will, I don't even, I can't even think of any other creative things. Dance, they'll go out and dance. You know, they're, they're just, pe pe everyone expresses themselves differently. And for me, when I was feeling these very, very, very strong feelings, I would make these performance art pieces. Um, so does that does that kind of clarify that? Kind of. And then you also did like a, a bondage thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that actually has nothing to do with my rape at Columbia. Um, I was accepted into this really prestigious program, and I was so happy to be accepted. Basically, while you're there, you read a bunch of art theory, and they help you hone your art practice into something that's very, like, theoretically minded. And I was just like, I feel like in this program, all of this stuff that we're reading and doing is actually holding us back. It made me feel very trapped. Um, so for the final show, I expressed that. I did this artwork in which my co-performer in that show 
we had him kind of binding me up in rope. I, I was trying to show that this program that thinks it's all that and a bag of potato chips is actually not very effective at doing anything because it's kind of bound by this institution. Okay, now that you're giving context, it makes more sense. Benjamin, throughout this call, sometimes you've said you still have questions, partly because Emma was processing what had happened to them through art, there were questions. And then Emma, part of the way you processed this very traumatic thing that happened to you was by creating art, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is interesting because then it's, it's when we distill this down, it's like it, it is a theme that happens, unfortunately, a lot in, in a lot of public stories where we have feelings about how someone is processing a thing that has happened to them. Do you think that's fair to say that part of the disconnect that happened between you, Benjamin, and you, Emma, specifically, Benjamin, you, you reading this, this national news story about Emma, part of the disconnect was a judgment on how Emma is processing. Um, I don't think so. It wasn't like the crux of my question. Like, but it was curious, you know. But yeah, it, it made some questions arise. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't handle it that way. But then again, I have no idea how I'd handle it. You know, I can't really make that judgment. And that I think is that, that is a, a, an inarguable statement, right? Like there's nothing to argue. I, I can't argue against that of you saying like, you have no idea you'd handle it. Right. It's just, a, I don't know. Emma, you were going to say something. No, I was just, I think that, I think you've hit on something really important. Um, I think that, I mean, Ben, Jamin, or Ben. Sorry, I just called you Ben. I hope that's okay. No, Ben. Um, cool. We're all old friends now. We're, we're all best friends now. Um, ben, M, and Dill. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I totally see why, from your position, you'd be like, whoa, I, I thought that when a person is raped, they scream and cry and call their dad or whatever. But this person seems to be making art and like um, doing quite big gestures afterward. Like, what the fuck? Um, I could see why you would be like, that doesn't make sense as the actions of what I've been told a rape survivor does. And then that, and then I could see that then stirring up a lot of disbelief in you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you guys are like, I never even thought about it like this. But yeah, I think that's probably just factor in. Like, really, I, I know I'm, it makes me sound like a simple time. I'm just totally going off of just the evidence. We don't need to keep on going over it. But that really was the base of it. But everything you guys are saying, I really wasn't aware I was thinking about it. But now that I think about it, yeah, I guess I did factor in. Well, I'm glad we brought it up then because I think those are probably unconsciously, those thoughts are probably unconsciously happening in a lot of people who see my art. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. And also... Benjamin, no, I don't think you're a simpleton at all. Because I, <laughs> Nor and, do I. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's saying that. And I, and I really hope you don't think that I was trying to build that case. No. I was just no. trying to point out that we all are at the whim of our weird, weird brains, you know, <laughs> like, and, and perception and what, how we perceive something to be. 
And I think sometimes our perceptions, specifically our vocalized perceptions, can have consequences when they're expressed to the person who we are perceiving. Does that make sense? Emma, does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. I didn't want to just be a, a mad person just rambling over here. Um, that's pretty That's pretty good. I'll get, I had to give it to you. That was pretty good. Well, Benjamin, I'll take it. Um, so, so, guys, we're coming to the close of the call. I just want to check in. Um, Benjamin, how are you feeling about the call? It was great. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Oh, well, amazing. I'm I'm so glad you you took part in this. Um, Emma, how are you feeling about the call? I'm I guess I, I'm feeling a little I started out feeling really excited and feeling like, oh great, I can like explain what happened to this guy and then he'll understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was gonna be pretty one to one. I'm realizing I mean, maybe maybe even since the last time we checked in, you your feelings have changed, Benjamin, but I, last time we checked in I, I felt like you still didn't really feel like you could believe me. And so I guess I feel a little like my wings have been clipped and I'm a little sad and crushed. It's not that I don't believe you. And it's, it's just, it's, it's not that I don't believe you. It's just so hard to prove just definitively. And that's sort of what I need before I ruin a per- person's reputation. Cause that's how I'd want to be treated, you know? So it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of, and again, Benjamin, jump in if I misspeak. But it seems like a lot of what you're saying is hinging on the fact that you do not want to unfairly vilify and villainize someone who is wrongfully accused of something. That's fair to say, right? That's that's very fair to say. And, and not and not only that. Like I hope that you guys don't either. You know? No, I <laughs> like. Like I, I hope that before you want to send somebody off to prison or ruin their life, you really it has to be beyond a shadow of a doubt, not just a person saying words. But you know? that, but that's exactly where we're diverging here, because I don't think in this conversation we actually are asking for this person to be villainized. We're just asking for you to believe a very traumatic account from someone who's on the phone with you, right? Like, it, it, w- this is actually not about the person who committed this crime, right? This is actually just... But, 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 it, is about, but it is about the crime, though. I mean, the, the crime is why I would believe or not believe Emma, you know? But we're not jurors. The three of us are not jurors in a court of law deciding the fate of this person. We are really just... And, and I'm putting us all on the same side here because we're all humans, you know what I mean? And, and we are, we each see ourselves as good humans doing, trying to do the best that we can, right? I mean, is that fair to say that we're all trying to do the best we can, guys? Yeah, Dylan. Try. Yeah, try. <laughs> no, but, but, but I'm, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm including us all, all here. We're all humans trying to do the best we can. But... What I think is important is that that other person who committed this crime, who has been brought up on this call, like we don't we are not deciding his fate, and we are not sealing his fate. We are simply just talking about the account of a person 
who has to live with the consequences of what that person did and the importance of kind of them being believed. Right. Right. I and mean, I'm just, yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm just not the point where I can a hundred percent say he did it, you know? So I think that, I think that is really where we're diverging and not that, that that's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that he didn't do it also, can but I, I'm just not where, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Um, I, I think one thing that, would be good to clarify is that you you were like, look, I I don't ever want to f- like ruin someone's life and falsely accuse them of rape, right? Like that's something you don't want to do, right? And I think that that's something that Dylan doesn't want to do. Dylan no. is in, in no way right. I would I would very much like to never do that, right? Yeah, and then. That is also something that I never want to do. I would feel sick if I falsely accused someone of rape. I think that would be a step backwards for the feminist movement. So you don't want to falsely accuse anyone of rape. Dylan doesn't want to falsely accuse anyone of rape. And I don't want to falsely accuse anyone of rape. Given that, I accused someone of rape. So I think a big part of it is that you would have to trust me to be the kind of person who would never want to falsely accuse someone of rape. And the only reason I would ever accuse someone of rape is if they did it. Does that, does that kind of logically make sense? It, it makes sense logically, but I just can't, I can't do that. I don't do that with anybody. You sound like a very nice person. I'm not, I'm not calling that into question, but I don't just, that, that isn't enough for me to, to believe somebody's a rapist. I need proof. I, I need beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's what I need. Forensic, you know, video. It's just what I need. I, I just want to say that, Forensic evidence is scientifically proven to be fallible. You solve a lot of cases. It does. And and it's incredibly important. And I say this not to make things more confusing, but to hopefully actually make them clearer. Um, Let's say two women took a rape test. One was raped by this one guy and one woman was consensually having sex with the same guy. The rape test would show up positive for both of them. So... Even a rape test, actually, if you think about it, can't really prove anything. Um, it proves maybe even the, identif- the identity of the guy, but it, it can't prove what, you know, the word in the room, yes or no. It can't prove who said what. So when a case is sometimes 100% impossible to prove 100%, what do we do? And, and I, think that, I think that a lot of the time you kind of have to just, I, I think, follow your soul in a weird way. Like, you know, it's just so, it's so much. You go through so much to come out about being sexually assaulted. It, it's, you're not going to do that shit for fun. If you want to ruin a guy's life, there are so many better ways of doing it that don't open yourself up to all the shit that comes your way if you come out about sexual assault. Mm. So, so if a person I know, if I see a person who comes out about sexual assault and opens themselves up and makes themselves that vulnerable. I'm like, they probably did it for a good reason. I and I and we're 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 talking and thank you for that, Emma. But we're talking in the hypothetical about ruining someone's life. It does beg the question, Emma. By coming forward, was your goal to ruin his life? Oh my gosh, I I didn't even say his name. Yeah. Um, he was the one who actually released his own name, and I was like, why did you do that? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say that to him because I wasn't in contact with him, but I was like, why did he do that? No one knew his name until he put it out there. Um, so, so that was a really weird move, I thought, because I, I, I had done all, I was making mattress performance 
thinking that no one even knew who he was. So you were you were not sharing his name. No. I guess I'm not saying that you, but like, I believe that was your intention, but you know, it's like, it's being alleged of something like that. It, you know, gets around. Yeah. Um, well, it, it actually feels like we're at a frustrating impasse here. And I, I'm not frustrated, but I actually think it's like super good, you know, cause I think this is how, I think you're right. I think this is how most people break this thing down. Right. I think a lot of people will listen to this conversation and recognize and use this conversation as a way to recognize how hard having this conversation can be. And so but I do think there are there, there, there's process in place that, you know, I think what I'm saying really, I think, maximizes the chance of the rapist getting caught, because that's what I want, for rapists to get caught and go to jail and have to keep thrown away. But you're also... As, as soon as it happens, go... go go to the police and collect, collect all the forensics right away. Cause these things, stuff is left evidence that can't be disputed is left. But and that's ben- how you build a strong case. But Benjamin, there are so many reasons why people don't go right away. I mean, you're on the phone with someone right now who themselves was made fun of by the police. So we are talking about an unjust, imperfect system did this happen? I just never, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it's just like, I've never heard of somebody calling the police saying, I've just been raped. Please send somebody. I need help. And then them laughing. Is that what happened? I it's mean, like unimaginable to me that that would happen. I, I literally, one of my close friends um, was raped while she was blackout. Like she got really drunk at a party, woke up at the bottom of a stairwell naked. And the guy was like nearby and she was like, Oh my God, you know? And as soon as she woke up, she went to the police and they said, why didn't you call us last night? And she was like, because I was being raped last night. Like, so, yeah, that's but, not good. That's wrong. But, so, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, it's so much more than wrong, Benjamin. I think, and I'm speaking for myself, but it's so much more than wrong because in a perfect world, Benjamin, I would, I would sign on to everything you're saying. Meaning in, in just systems where you can easily prove beyond a shadow of the doubt when, you know, the, the, the body of people who are meant to protect us have no biases, no biases and no judgment. They are just literally um, the most bipartisan, <laughs> like non-political people, but the people who rape survivors have to deal with, the first person um, is is likely a member of the um, of law enforcement. And while there are, I just want to say this, while I'm sure there are many members of law enforcement, many members of the police force who are very good people who take their job very seriously and who painstakingly work to to bring justice to the world in in the truest sense to that word. I also think that inevitably, because the police force is comprised of humans, you're not going to get that, right? Humans are all flawed. Maybe, I, maybe I've idealized these people. I can't discount that. I just assume when somebody like, is beat up or like has you know, was just raped and, you know, has the samples all over the body, like, they would be believed 
Like, why wouldn't you believe it? But Benjamin, I think there's also a great sense of shame that comes from being raped. And that shame can prohibit you from going to the police, especially if you have heard other stories of the police not believing you. So if you're already feeling shame about this thing that so many people feel shame for, that's a separate topic entirely of why humans feel shame from being sexually assaulted. Emily, you said this yourself. I mean, you wanted to convince yourself that it hadn't happened, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you are trying to convince yourself that your rape hasn't happened, you are sure as hell not going to be like, you know who I'm going to now convince is law enforcement. What I'm trying to say, Benjamin, is there are so many complications that take this idealized situation that you're painting of like, yeah, you should go right to the cops when it happens. But there are so many other factors that, with all due respect, Benjamin, I don't know that you are considering because you fortunately have, and and I truly mean fortunately, like I'm so glad that you have never had to be in this position, but I don't think you have experienced this firsthand. Yeah, I haven't. That's true. I just, I just, I guess I just understand. I just, something I understand is what is the alternative to all this? Like, so everybody's, it's just like what happens to the accused people? If everybody who says they're raped and can't give ex- extremely strong evidence for the rape, what happens to those accused people? Well, you know? I'll, I'll and tell how you. That, and how that doesn't just descend into a witch hunt. Yeah. So normally it's nothing. Um, and I guess the only thing that um, that I'm asking is not that you then go leave this phone call and be like, and now I'm on a crusade against this dude that I've never met. But for for me, I mean, I think the bare minimum I could ask for is to is that your reaction is not to message the survive the potential survivor with something that's angry. Yeah, by by just questioning, you know, just by saying that you're telling a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can see that. But I mean, the least I can ask for is no more hatred. It wasn't hatred. It's disbelief. There's a difference. Uh, But I think by calling Emma a liar, it is not hatred when you write it, right? You, you, there is no intention of hatred when you call them a liar. But I think there are certain feelings that are elicited when you have gone through this thing and you receive a message like that. Mm-hmm. It was insensitive. It was insensitive. I, I'll, I'll give you what you want. It was insensitive. It was, it, it had, I guess, had an insensitive undertone. But, but I, I'm not looking for anything. You just said, I'll give you what you want. I'm really not looking for anything from you. I'm just trying to explain the discrepancy of, of why the word hateful comes in because a message that you sent that is not hateful can sometimes be read as hateful on the other side. Yeah. I see that, but I should have, I should have, I should have expressed myself better. I didn't express myself well. I didn't, I didn't express it well. I should have said it better. Did you, when you sent that message, have any idea that I might be receiving hundreds just like it? No, no, that's true. I didn't, I did not put myself in your shoes and saying, this is probably, this could be like just more BS. Like somebody else has already said this. It doesn't need to be said. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So, so when I say the word hatred, I, and again, I mean, I even said this, I, I, I really want you to believe me when I say this, that I don't think that you wrote the meanest thing. Um, the hate, the feeling of hatred comes from 
just receiving so many messages just like yours and even worse. And and so I'm like, why why would someone add to the pile? Why like at that point it's like it it have it's like um the difference between like standing under a stream that's whatever that's getting you wet but it's fine versus standing under a waterfall that's kind of torturous, right? Like um does that so 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 the the impulse of of adding to the kind of um you know multitude of messages i was just receiving is is where where i feel like oh my god i feel hated does that does that make sense that makes sense yeah that makes sense that makes sense okay but i'm well, sorry for seeing the message and i'm sorry i hurt your feelings well thank I you for that. that i i feel like we've taken this as far as it can go are there any final things you want to say to each other uh parting words well, sure, for both of you. Again, I appreciate this opportunity a lot. This is, this is I, I, I didn't, I would have never imagined that seeing that message would get, would allow me to get to actually speak to the person. And um, I know it may be hard to believe, maybe for Emma and the viewers or whatever, but I really, I wish this person, Emma, all the best in life, only the good things for you. We have a long life and a great life, and you as well, though. And again, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. You too, Benjamin. Thank you, Benjamin. Emma, any final words? Um. Yeah, this has been, you know, it's it's definitely really re-traumatizing to have to talk about all this stuff because, you know, this is the kind of stuff I had to tell the the school hearing committee. This is the kind of stuff I had to tell the police officers. This is the kind of stuff I had to tell so many people who wouldn't believe me. Um, and, I, you know, it's kind of just, it, it breaks my heart to do it again and to feel like the person on the other side can't can't believe me because I can't provide them with the science that they needed. Um, so so yeah, I, I'm definitely going away from this conversation feeling like you know a little uh, you know like I'll never I'll never you know have the kind of resolution I've wanted. And you know it's always sad because it's like I never wanted to be raped in the first place. I never wanted to be here at all. So. Um, so yeah, I'm coming away from this conversation a little heartbroken, and uh, I guess I, I, I hope I hope that this conversation ends up uh, meaning something to someone someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that being said, um, thank you both for being willing to do this. And I guess uh, the way I'll leave it is we'll all see each other on the internet. Yeah. All right. You take care, you guys. Sounds Bye. good. Bye, Benjamin. All right. Bye. If you'd like to be a guest on this show and take your own online conversation and move it offline, please visit www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com for more information. Conversations with People Who Hate Me is a production of Night Vale Presents. Vincent Cascione is the sound engineer and mixer. Christy Gressman is the executive producer. The theme song is These Dark Times by Caged Animals. The logo was designed by Rob Wilson. And this podcast was created, produced, and hosted by me, Dylan Marin. Special thanks to Adam Cecil, Emily Moeller, and our publicist, Megan Larson. We'll be releasing episodes every other week, so I'll see you in two weeks with a brand new conversation. Until then, remember, there's a human on the other side of the screen. We're racing.
Dark time.